Hope you're having a great holiday week. I am off on adventures, so this is a best of edition of the Clark Howard podcast. I hope you enjoy it and that you have an enjoyable holiday week. So glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life today. More and more newspaper stories I'm seeing. Yes, I still read a thing called newspapers about neighbors getting into spats with neighbors. Come on. People ending up getting in trouble with the law over a dispute with a neighbor, ending up suing each other. We got to talk about this. And something else we got to talk about, this is a train wreck. Just at the time that interest rates on credit cards have hit an all-time high, people are charging up credit cards like a storm. We're going to talk that through. But right now, who was it who said, uh, was it Robert Frost, uh, fences make, tall fences make good neighbors, whatever that was. Christy, you were an English major. Who was it who said that? Was that Jack London? Was that Robert Frost? Who was I that? I hate it when school? you put me on the spot like this. It was Robert Frost. See, I knew you'd know. I just looked it up. Oh, <laughs> seriously? <laughs> yeah. I thought for sure you'd know. No, I don't know everything. <laughs> I can't remember so much. So, no. So, I've told the story about when I was in poetry in high school. You have, yeah. Yeah. But oh, you man. remembered. So, you're much better English major than I. Oh, definitely not. I mean, think how bad my grammar is, but we digress. So let's talk about what we're going to talk about. And that is neighbors today. I mean, we don't even wave to each other so often now. We, we've become so detached and disconnected in so many neighborhoods from the family that moves in next door or the couple or individual that moves in across the street. And so many of the just childish disputes that I keep reading about, anecdotally, it seems, although there's no actual data I've seen anywhere, that the number of things ending up as court cases, either civil or criminal, involving feuds between neighbors, come on, come on. I mean, this is not okay. And yes, there's going to be unreasonable people who happen to move in next door to us. It will happen. But most of the time, things happen because of this anonymity thing. So, I mean, do things simple. A new neighbor moves in, go take them some cookies or something and welcome them to the neighborhood. I mean, we as Americans... One of the big curses we have, there's a lot of loneliness now. We don't have the connections we used to have through organizations. I've talked about this before through being a member of a church, whatever. We don't participate in organizations like we used to. We don't have those natural bonds that develop as being part of something. Then we go home and... People don't even know who we are, and we don't know who they are, and they can be our across-the-street neighbor and next-door neighbor. 
I always make it a point when somebody moves in to go say hello to them. And it's funny how often they're shocked. I mean, shocked. And then once they get over the shock, they really appreciate it that somebody came and welcomed them to the neighborhood. I mean, this is simple stuff. This is basic blocking and tackling in life. Just simple, simple kindnesses pay off so many different ways in our lives. You never know when that person you go to greet to the neighborhood will end up being a great friend down the road or something. But if you never met them, you never reached out to them, you're never going to have that connection. And so you're thinking right now, what does this have to do with why I'd listen to this podcast and know how to be better with my money and all that? Well, has actually a lot to do with it. Because let's dial back to the first thing I said, these stupid disputes that end up in court. When you've broken that wall of anonymity with someone, the odds that something's going to get nasty like that and end up in court and you're going to have to go hire a lawyer and all that, they fall to near zero. Now, yes, there could always be somebody who's a complete horse is something, who's your neighbor, who causes a problem, and they won't fix it, and you're left with your only alternative to sue them. That's the rare circumstance. Most of the time, strangers may behave that way to strangers, but acquaintances or friends don't behave that way to acquaintances or friends. So yes, there's money involved. And life is about more than just money, which is something I always remind people because there are people who think that all I'm about is the dollar bill. No way. It's not, there's a lot more to life than than that. that. If I had to say one thing that you're all about, I would say service because you've spent your whole life doing service. Yeah, there you go. Because you are, you do more in service work than anybody I've ever known. That is 100% true. Just say thank you. Just say thank you. Thank you, Clark. Okay. All right. Mike in Washington (laughs) says, what are the pros and cons of owning a timeshare? What criteria are used to rank timeshare organizations? Well, I think everybody should go out today and buy six timeshares because they're so great. (laughs) And if you look at your calendar, it is April Fool's Day. No. Timeshares are a defective product. And I don't recommend that anybody ever buy a timeshare. The reason is, if you look at the soft underbelly, what happens after you buy that timeshare? You may even love staying at the timeshare you buy. The problem comes when you don't want the timeshare anymore. The market is a broken market because there's not even a single buyer for every hundred timeshares for sale. Most people who want to get rid of a timeshare have to pay the person to take it over from them thousands of dollars just to beg somebody and buy them off to take over your timeshare. Now, there are people who believe that if you buy from one of the big brand name hotel chains, that those timeshares are magical and they will somehow rise in value. Not true. Think about this. Take a condominium building. Condo building has 100 units. If I built those condos and I now sell them, 
How many sales does my sales force have to make? A hundred. If on the other hand, I build in a hundred unit timeshare complex, how many times do I have to sell it? 5,200. 50,000. <laughs> 50,000? Really? I thought it was 52 weeks a year. 50. Only, they only sell 50. Oh, okay. Okay. No, but you're right. I was teasing. Oh, gosh, Clark. <laughs> Don't do that to me. <laughs> that was so fun. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> the sales and administrative costs and commissions eat up the value of the real estate. There is no value left at that point. You've paid so much money to buy that one week out of 50 that is sold for each unit. And so that's why they become a defective product and one that you should not buy because they are virtually unsellable. There are no brands of timeshares that I would say they're an exception to that. If you ever want to buy a timeshare, buy one from someone who's paying you to take it over, and then you have an upfront negative cost to taking over their timeshare obligation. And Christine Illinois says, just wanted to add one more point to Clark's advice to keep receiving paper credit card statements in the mail. Because my husband is unorganized and uninterested in keeping track of the monthly finances at our house, I've become the expert. I sometimes worry that my advice about how to manage our accounts online will be forgotten if something happens to me. So no matter how much the card site pesters me to cancel statements, I keep them coming so he'll always have something current to hold in his hands. So that is yet another of the reasons added to the list of why paper statements are really valuable. I find like last night, I go once a month, I go through line item by line item, all the statements, and I found some uh, new recurring charge. And I'm like, what is this? And I start digging in. And one of my family members who will remain anonymous signed up for a trial of one of the streaming services that no one, to my knowledge, has ever watched in the house since they signed up for it a month or two ago. And so if I hadn't gone through line item by line item, I would have missed that and I would have been wasting $100 a year. Just an example of what you don't see when you look at an electronic statement, your eyes just process differently and you're able to take so much more charge with that paper statement. We have had the rebuttals though from Chris to, from people who say, hey, you know what's better? Just store them on a drive. Mm -hmm. And if you prefer doing that and you prefer electronic statements, maybe you travel frequently, you live in more than one place and you keep a backup of them, that would be an alternative. Bob in Wisconsin says, my young adult daughter went to renew her passport and fell victim to what I would call less than ethical website. Oh, not this again. She was in a hurry before her appointment at the post office for the renewal and searched online for passport forms. The font and colors nearly matched the government website perfectly, and the fee was nearly identical. She thought she was paying the processing fee, but what actually happened is she paid $89 to have the website print the forms for her. While I can't call this a scam since she didn't receive a service for the money paid, it certainly doesn't seem ethical. This service also has all of her personal info now, including her social security number, so I'm teaching her about credit freeze tonight. 
Please pass this tip on to your audience so no one else pays a bunch of money for very little service. Thank you. Thank you for taking time to contact us about this. This is a problem that most often attacks small businesses where there'll be a number of government forms and filings you have to do and you get an envelope that looks like it's from a government agency, but it's not. And you pay them a fee that's on top of the fee you'd pay government. And then they have key personal information if they turn out to be more than just thieves of your money pretending to be the government, but then they decide to try to steal your money, they've got key information to do so. This is a consumer version with the uh, passport thing that we've heard before. Know that if you go to the U.S. passport office and you fill out your application on there, they also have a fill-in-the-blank thing that you print out. Um, Even better moving forward, for anyone renewing a passport in 23, you may be eligible on a renewal for the new program where you don't even have to send in your original passport. They have all that. And you submit your entire application electronically. They tested it. It worked. They've expanded it. And it will become the way you renew a passport in the future is it will be all electronic. And hopefully at that point, these scamsters will fade into oblivion. Up next, credit card balances are moving on up right now, and that's not a good thing at a time of higher interest rates. We got to talk about it. We've been through a lot. I mean, give yourself a break. If you go back to 20, 2020 kicked off as just a normal year, and then... COVID came and swept over the globe and swept over the United States. We had crazy loss of life in the United States. A million and a half, approximately, of our fellow Americans perished during COVID. A brutal, tragic toll. Early in COVID in the United States, if you remember, we, I mean, if you remember, you lived through it, we went through the wave of tens of millions of people being laid off in just a two-week period of time. I guess that was March or April of 20. And then we had the massive government rescue packages from every layer of government, pouring money into people's pockets, pouring money into companies, pouring money into government coffers with borrowed money. And then we had these series of rescue packages in 20 and 21. Then 22, as we came through most of COVID and life kind of returned to normal, we had this massive hangover of inflation from way too much money being pumped into the economy. And inflation was just galloping for a while. And now the inflation fever has broken for the most part. And we've had several months where costs have gone negative. That's why the inflation rate looked over a 12-month period, month after month, pretty much keeps getting reported as lower than it was because we've had what's known as negative net inflation for the last little while. At the same time, there are higher prices baked into the system. Look at how many things you've been paying more for. And now, because of the peculiarities of the world oil market, we've started seeing gasoline prices going back up. I mean, there's a lot of things 
you and I have had to go through in a really short period of time in the span of our lifetimes. It's been brutal. All the disruption. It feels like quicksand under our feet. And then the after effects of inflation, the effects of it, a lot of people, particularly incomes up to 60000 a year, have been having trouble making ends meet each month because incomes didn't rise at the level that inflation was bringing costs up that you had to pay every month. Look what happened for a while with rents, where renting a place went up so much. Now that has started bending back down, but the damage was already done. And how much of your monthly budget is going to that? If your car croaked and you had to buy a used car, it was really bad, ugly in 21 in particular, and just ugly in 22, and now becoming a more normalized used vehicle market. The, the cost pressures have been coming from every direction, but the income did not keep up. And so there are a lot of people that are stretched. So you've been using credit cards to try to close the gap each month, but a really brutal time to do that because the banks are charging the highest average interest rates ever on credit cards right now. So if you're running a balance, you're getting eaten up. Now, as income moves up from that arbitrary figure I gave, I've looked at charts, and so 60 is kind of an arbitrary number. You get above that, there's more breathing room that if you are living on credit cards to a certain extent, to cut here or there. Everybody's situation is different, but I can tell you as the income moves up from 60K a year, there's more room for you to trim here or there, change how you do this, change how you do that, and be able to start the process of getting that credit card debt under control. But it's really important to do so because this is one of those inflection times where the balances are going up at the same time the interest rates are going up, which means handling your monthly expenses can get more and more crowded out as more and more of your money every month is having to go to service the interest on the credit card debt you've accumulated. It's a bad cycle. And so if you are in a position to go through everything you're spending right now and see where you can make an adjustment and not do this or not do that or change how you do this other thing and close that gap do so. Or you can go the most extreme strategy of all, and that's where you go to cash. And you pay your expenses that are walking around expenses in cash. And you pull a certain amount out each pay period. And if you're forced to make that stretch from pay period to pay period, you'll surprise yourself at what expenses you don't incur when you're watching that cash dwindle. Krista? Chris in California says, I know it's an excellent idea to pay credit card balances in full each and every month. However, what should the maximum purchase APR on a fixed rate credit card from a credit union be if one has to carry a balance for a while? In the past, Clark has indicated that he would like a seeker of such a card to aim for an interest rate that's less than 10%. However, what if one can't get a fixed rate or even variable rate credit card with a sub 10% purchase APR from a credit union particularly in light of America's current inflation situation. So the credit cards from credit unions, 
you may have seen the rates, you know, I would talk about getting a 9 or 10% from a credit union. Right now, you may see that as 11 or 12. It's still going to be usually about a third lower in interest rate than what it is from a bank. Because credit unions are co-ops, they're run for and by their owners, which is you if you have an account there. And so that's why credit union interest rates on credit cards tend to be significantly lower than the average for a bank. So if right now, because of the interest rate pressures, what I used to talk about at 8 9% is now 10 11 12%, you're still way ahead of the game with a credit union credit card than you are with one from a traditional bank, where the average now is bumping closer and closer to the unbelievable percent of 20 Brenda in Georgia says, I had trouble managing my spending over the years and got into bad credit card debt. I acquired eight credit cards and three store credit cards. All have been paid off. Now I only use one, maybe two cards and pay off the balance ASAP. I finally worked my way up to an improved credit score of 780. Hard work and sacrifice to control my emotional spending. I want to close out the cards I no longer use and stick to just two to three at most. What do you recommend? I want you to put them in a drawer and get them out of your wallet, but I don't want you, Brenda, to close any of the accounts because that will take that 780 and lower it because the available credit you have on those cards is really advantageous to you. Now, the three store cards, store credit is junk credit, and if they don't have a Visa MasterCard logo on them, they're just for that particular retail store. You want to close those, fine, but your majors, the five major ones you have, keep those open. The only exception would be if there's one with an annual fee. In that case, apply, now that your credit standing is so good, apply for a card you'd really like to have from someone else to replace a card with an annual fee that you're closing. But congratulations to you facing what felt like a mountain of debt and your credit score devastated, doing everything you needed to to pay it off, and now a 780 score. That's great. Awesome. Dan in Virginia says, a question about paying for medical bills. Is there any reason not to use the insurance website to pay them versus paying each medical provider directly via mail or their own website? It is convenient to pay bills all in one place, but I'm slightly concerned I may overpay in some situations. So you must like playing horseshoes if you do this. Don't do it. Do not pay through the payment portal of any of the giant insurance companies because you'll find repeatedly that the bills don't match up. What you actually owe the provider could be less than what you pay through the insurer portal, could be more, and you could end up being reported as a deadbeat, not paying a bill. So... I know it's more hassle, but it's become much easier with most medical facilities, doctor's offices, and the rest to pay on their own portal. I know it's an extra step versus just going one stop to your insurer's payment portal, but avoid that temptation of ease because what's easier up front could be more of a problem later. And it would be nice if the bills matched up. They don't most of the time. And 
I want to tell you something I really appreciate. I appreciate the variety of all the questions we had on today's podcast. It's wonderful. You bring issues to light that are things that maybe I haven't thought about in a while, a new perspective on something that may not have occurred to me, and provide guidance and help to your fellow listener. And that's what we all are. We are all members of Team Clark. And whatever way we connect to each other, whether it's at one of the websites, Clark.com or Clark Deals, our free newsletters, our Team Clark Consumer Action Center, our community on Clark.com, community on Clark.com, we all serve each other. And that's why I thank you for being a member of Team Clark and have a great day.